we're usually having people bring out uh, speakers to introduce them. Our first speaker uh, didn't have any preferences, so in the spirit of NA, we're going to ask a newcomer to come up and introduce our first speaker, and so I'm asking Isaac to come up. My name is Isaac. I'm an addict. Mel H. Uh, Mel got clean in prison in California in 1968. Uh, later on, Mel carried an H&I meeting back to that same institution. And around 1969, Mel helped, helped start five NA meetings. These were the sixth through tenth NA meetings in the Los Angeles area. He served as GSO chairman around 69 or 70. Mel conceived of and organized the first world convention in 1971. He was on a board of trustees from 1975 to 1979. I'd like to introduce Mel H. My name is Mel. I'm an addict. Well, you said all, so I can go sit down now, huh? <laughs> um, it's a privilege to be invited to a, a conference, history conference. In fact, it, it surprised me. Uh, I got the uh, nod for uh, the World uh, Convention in San Diego this past July, and within a couple of hours, I got a phone call from Nashville if I wanted to participate in this history conference. And I thought, that's a God thing, man. I, I've never been asked to go a lot of places, and uh, and all of a sudden I'm asked to come to two different places, and uh, uh, and I I felt privileged, I felt honored uh, that they would want to hear from me. Um, NA has done a lot for me. NA has done a lot for just anybody sitting in here, whether you're brand new, like the fellow that introduced me, or somebody that's been around for a whole lot of years. Uh, it's a it's a life changing uh, situation. NA is a way of life. It's not just a program. I've always I've always said uh, going to a Narcotics Anonymous isn't uh, isn't necessarily Narcotics Anonymous. And Narcotics Anonymous is found in the, the basic text, the words, the changes that takes place within us that uh, that molds us to be the kind of people we've always wanted to become, but we're maybe afraid. You know, it, it knocks away some of the fears. It knocks away some of the uh, uh, resentments uh, as we build on, on, on our character and, and discover who we are and, and disregard and make amends and do all those things and all of a sudden the program uh, becomes a way of life. It's not something that I, I want to take lightly at all. Um, I know this is a history conference and I want to get into history. History is fun. Uh, I think uh, the history of N.A. is uh, is a miracle all of its own. Uh, what started out, uh, I, I discovered too, now here's another thing, as I, I thought NA started in 1953. Well, it really did. It really started and stayed in 1953, but it, I, I found out, I got slapped a few times by old Bobby B, and he says, you know, it started in 1947. Of course, that, that book, that, that big uh, uh, a book uh, that we have for history it's talked about some stuff happening back in New York that kind of fell apart and then picked back up in 1953 with Jimmy. Um, as my bio said, I was uh, locked up in the state penitentiary. I got busted in 1967 for 
possession and sales and all that junk, and I, I wound up in a place that I was only supposed to be there six months, but I didn't know the games that you had to play to get in and out of penitentiary, so I, I told the truth, and they laughed at me and kept me for a while longer. <laughs> but in that place, I found, uh, I found this program, and uh, there was a couple guys that came out. In fact, uh, the Mexican mafia was talked about last night. Uh, Sylvia, yeah, she had uh, four brothers, and uh, one of the brothers carried the message to me inside that place the third week I was there and brought the guy that became my sponsor who went to that uh, liquid program as well as some NA uh, meetings. I heard that term liquid program just a few weeks ago. I thought I'd use it. <laughs> um, um, and that guy became my sponsor. He had 17 years, and he was just the funniest guy I ever heard in my whole life. He, was, he, was, he had energy inside him. That uh, that I always wanted, and uh, and yet uh, Hank, uh, who passed away, probably about three years ago, three, three years ago now, uh, he had the saddest story I ever heard. And uh, every one of his brothers and sisters, except for one, which I hear last night, uh, got uh, was on drugs for doing some other stuff. And and I thought to myself, he is he has no reason to be clean. This guy's got it really. He should be loaded, man. But uh, he, he got up there and carried the message and the hope of Narcotics Anonymous to me inside that place. And, and I became involved even inside the, uh, inside the penitentiary. I became chairman of the uh, meeting there. And I, I even started a, a step study meeting in that place. And uh, we had, so we had two meetings going in that place. Uh, but when I got out, I had one phone number on me. And that was uh, my sponsor's phone number. The guy asked to be my sponsor. And I don't know how many of you have ever done institutional work in, in, in your life, but if you do institutional work, you, uh, you turn around, you go in these places, and you pour your heart out about how, the, how NA has saved your life, and you, maybe a guy or a gal will ask you for their phone number, and you'll never hear from them, ever. So sure enough, that day I got out of that place, I called up Eddie, and I said, Hey, Eddie, this is Mel. He says, Who? <laughs> and I said, Well, you met me at CRC. He said, Where? And as we got into the conversation, he says, oh, yeah, I remember you. He says, where are you at? And I says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in Whittier, man. I'm back, I'm back home. I'm out of that place. And he says, well, you know, I've never had anybody call me. And uh, <laughs> so I said, well, I want to go to a meeting. He says, well, I'll be, and this is on a Monday. Uh, by the way, that Monday was October the 7th of 1968. And he said, um, meet me uh, at a meeting on, in Temple City on Las Tunas. I am standing up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those liquid meetings I had to go to. See, I didn't have any addresses to any meetings. I didn't know where any were at. There was, there was in fact... It took me a month and a half to find an NA meeting. It took me a month and a half to find one. And when I found one, it was in somebody's home. Uh, in fact, he's dead now, so I can say his last name. Uh, Ron Larson and his wife, Kathy, found it in their home. And I don't remember if Gene was there or not, but I know that, uh, I know that uh, Jimmy was there. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. But I went to this liquid meeting, and, you know, I always had this impression of AA that it was nothing but old people. 
Now, even though I saw that movie Day of Wine and Roses, I thought it was nothing but old people that just got too lazy to go to liquor store, so they retired to AA to play bingo. <laughs> and I didn't want nothing to do with that. And I walked into that meeting, and sure enough, there was a lot of old people, and you know, some of them didn't have any teeth, and they smiled, and they gave you the willies. I, I can't talk about that anymore. I can take my teeth out now, too. But that's... <laughs> uh, but I walked in there, and they had those same things that we use in NA. Man, we need you. Keep coming back. It works. Uh, you know, they had all the cliches, and and uh, and I thought, man, they don't need me. And I and, and I back. I got nervous about being there. I thought they wanted something. I started leaving money at home, jewelry at home. You know, anything I might have still had, I didn't want to bring it because I didn't want to be ripped off. But what they were trying to do is give something away, and that's the give, giving away of the love of this of this program. And uh, when I did find NA, um, I felt at home. I felt really at home because now I can talk about my other addiction. I can talk about stuff you couldn't talk about in that liquid fellowship. And uh, I met some really cool people like Gene. Uh, Gene was, just became an instant friend to me. He had, he had a great story. He had a great story about a, a, a old dresser drawer. And I, I always try to, every time he shares, I say, come on, Gene, talk about that dresser drawer. <laughs> I love that story. And I met Sally and I met Bill. I met uh, several of the people who are going to be sharing here tonight. You know, this to me, the reason that I'm here is, is probably to bring up some of the history, but actually there's a twofold reason. I want to be with my friends. I want to be with the people that I got clean with. I don't get to do this. I don't know how much longer God's going to give me on this planet. I have no idea how long I'm going to be left on this planet or how long they're going to be left but while I'm on this planet, and they are too, I want to spend time, quality time with my friends. I don't know how you feel about that. I mean, if, you, if you've been around for any period of time, you've developed some relationships that are special. And that's what I, I remember when we were brand new, when I did find some of these meetings, and I didn't get to all five. There was five meetings that I knew about in L.A. Now, I hear that there was actually a few more. In fact, CRC, the penitentiary, that was, there was two meetings there. And uh, so that means there was seven meetings, maybe. I don't know if they count that. I'm sure they do. But uh, we, knew every, we knew each other. We knew each other quite well. In fact, in some cases, there was people that had canned pitches, and we all used to lip sync. Well, that, we really did a lot of fun things in those days. But... Uh, uh, but we got together quite frequently and did a lot of uh, fun things. If we uh, Holidays, we'd have picnics, and we'd have this, and we'd have that. I got involved in all those things. I loved doing everything. I mean, I was just like the little kid in the candy store. I wanted, just, I wanted a part of it. I wanted to be a part of this thing so badly that I bulldarded my way through things. You know, I, I, I got a sponsor. I got some new friends. Uh, my sponsor gave me one warning. And this was kind of a funny warning. He says, you know... I advise you to get as many phone numbers as you possibly can get because there's times that I'm having a date and I might be just sitting at home eating spaghetti with my wife and I'll take the phone off the hook. So you better have yourself a lot of phone numbers. And I thought, that's a horrible thing to tell somebody that might be wanting to die and you can't get a hold of the guy that's going to save your life. So I, uh, to this day, I carry around two, three hundred phone numbers in my, uh, well, now my Palm Pilot, but I carry quite a few phone numbers with me. I'm never going to uh, stop thinking about having people to call when I get in trouble. Just because I've been clean for almost 35 years doesn't necessarily mean that I'm well. 
means I'm still just like everybody else trudging one day at a time. I have some information though. I've got 35, almost 35 years worth of information stored in here to how to survive. I do. I, I, can, I can honestly say if you ask me a question, I might have an answer. And if I don't, I'll go find it for you. That's the way I feel about things. That's what I tell the guys I sponsor. I don't have all the answers. Answers are in the book. And the answers are out there with a lot of people. Oh, Bill, he cuts hair. I don't know how to cut hair all that good, but if I wanted to learn how to cut hair, I'd go talk to Bill. I mean, that's just the way it is. There's people here that are accountants. If I wanted to know something, I'd go to you and say, how do you do this? But uh, all I have to share with you is my story and how I got here and what happened to me and what it's like today. That's all I've got. You know, and that's a gift because I could be dead. I could have taken the alternative and said, I don't need this. I don't need you. I could just go out there and experiment. And I know the people that have experimented have expired too. And I know people that have had a lot of time that thought they had it together that expired too. They just went back out one more time to see what it was all about. But as this thing grew... Um, I remember going to a Saturday night meeting where the Mexican Mafia was. <laughs> it was a step study meeting, on, I think, Olympic Street in L.A. That was the closest one to my house on a Saturday night. But every time I turn around, I, I wanted to go to a meeting that was just too far away, and I'd have to go to the other fellowship on, on occasion, and I'd go back to N.A. And it made me kind of think, you know, I don't really feel that comfortable in that other fellowship, and I really need to be more comfortable in N.A. I need to be rock solid in N.A. So I put together a meeting. I got invited to a, a Naranon meeting. That's like Al-Anon. I think you've all heard of Naranon. I went to a Naranon meeting where they asked me to speak. Now, hey, how can I speak? I, I'm a young punk right out, of, uh, right out of the penitentiary. I have nothing to share of any recovery to speak of, and they want me to share my story. <laughs> well, that was just a blow-by-blow -blow description of how I got loaded. I mean, what do you have to share when you're brand new? Nothing but, uh, but the war story. But the pastor at that particular church said, you know, why don't you start a meeting here? Now, that was in December of 68. So the first Monday of 1969, I uh, had one of the guys that at that meeting, that was the guy I told the night before, I did something else, too, that was a definite no-no, and they told me about it afterwards. I published a little news item in a newspaper about... Uh, Hey, if you're a drug addict and you know you're looking for help, call this number. And uh, boy, I put my own home phone number on there and everything. And and I had I had a few phone calls, believe it or not. But they said, Oh, don't do that. Man, that's that's against the traditions. You can't go do that. And I said, Well, I did. Um, but the word of mouth got out there, and we the next week we had about four people show up, and after that it just started to blossom. And we had 20, 25 to sometimes as many as 50 people would show up at this meeting. And, and it was a fun meeting. And uh, not too long after that, there was a, another gal that came to me and said, well, what do you think about starting another meeting? I said, oh, man, why don't you? And I lit fires under people, and we got another meeting in Paramount, which is not too far from, from where I live. And, and that started. And then not too long after that, this other guy that came to the Monday night meeting says, well, I live in Downey. I says, that's a good place for a meeting. Let's have a meeting there. So we started a, a meeting there at a little park. And uh, another guy came to me, and he liked what was going on. He was in West Covina, and 
hey, West Covina is a really good place for a meeting. So we started a meeting there. And the next thing we know, we had one more guy, and this is a guy that one of the two guys I used with that are still alive today that's clean. And uh, he started a meeting uh, with another guy I knew uh, uh, in, in Pico Rivera, and we had a step study meeting going there. And that was cool. We had five meetings, five more meetings of Narcotics Anonymous. And, and it formed what we call, I hate this term, I mean, every NA is really funny about categorizing places, you know. They became Eastern Counties. Yeah, I, I laughed at that and I said, well, why don't we just call it NA and, as a whole? It's just a meeting, just an area. But it became an area, Eastern Counties. And that was a strong uh, asset to uh, what we had going. And as we watched things blossom, I mean, I, I, uh, I have to openly admit to you that I stayed clean with activity, not action. It took me, oh, I hate to admit this, almost 11 years to do an inventory because I was too busy. <laughs> when you're busy, you don't have time for looking at yourself. You don't have time to look in a mirror. And you don't have a lot of time to even feel. You just get out there and have, you know, inside people would say, hey, Mel, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm really great. They didn't really ask me, how you really doing? Because inside, I was floating around just thinking, man, I don't know what to do with what's going on inside my head. My head is just out to hit me sometimes. And I caused myself some problems that weren't good. Um, I almost, I got, I got arrested and a felony, and, and uh, I, I was looking at five years in state penitentiary, and I did it clean. And I had to fight with that inside my head, and I finally had to work an inventory. And uh, I got to looking at me and realized the changes that I needed to make, and I made those changes. And uh, anyway, uh, as the bio said, I, I did get involved in service in NA, and um, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I mean, they, they figured they had a duck right out of water. Let's give them something to do. So I, they made me chairman of this and activities, this and that. I was doing all kinds of fun things, and I remember... I mentioned this at the uh, World Convention, and, it, and it, it brought tears to my eyes to think about it. But I mentioned to Bobby B and a few other people, why don't we have a World Convention? And uh, they laughed and said, well, yeah, that's, that's a great idea. Well, where are you going to have it? And I said, well, how about the Anaheim Convention Center, the L.A. Convention Center? And they, they laughed even harder. And they said, well, number one, where are you going to get the money? And number two, where are you going to get the people? <laughs> and I, I kind of I thought about it for a bit, and I said, you know, you're right. That's a little bit uh, extravagant. So I had to stop and, and uh, reevaluate. And I got about five or six people together, and we started meeting. Lo and behold, uh, my best friend, he reminded me of this, too, after the convention in, in uh, San Diego. He said, uh, we wound up getting this guy, this is a real coincidence, whose name was Bill Wilson. And he found us the La Mirada Country Club, which was a golf course country club, and they donated that premises to us for that weekend. I didn't remember that. Of course, I'm old, and uh, I didn't remember that. And, and, as, and as it turned out, there was uh, 250 people there. 250 people, 185 paid, and the rest were freebies out of uh, 
recovery houses. And one of the recovery houses even Saturday nights spent the night on the floor of my home. And that was 1971 in November. And that was the most beautiful ex experience that I can ever remember. Because when we left there, nobody wanted to leave. We had tears in our eyes. It was just uh, an upbeat thing. Jimmy was there. We talked about Jack Whaley. He was there. He, he was a um, great guy. Crazy, but great. And uh, I think Gene was there. There was just a lot of people that, were, that are still alive. Some of them are still alive that were at that first convention. But the, you could see the bonding of what was going to happen in that place. You know, and NA started developing with the, all the little business meetings. We got the tree going, and we got uh, a lot of other uh, things together that kind of brought us into a reality of what Narcotics Anonymous could become. So we met, in fact, on a lot of occasions in Bill's uh, barbershop. I remember uh, many meetings we met at Bill's barbershop, and, and then we got uh, other places to meet at, and... Uh, um, there was a core group of people that were interested. You know, there's always these things in, in any fellowship, I don't care where you go, where you're going to have people that are audience. They're just here to listen. They're here to maybe help a little bit. They'll shuffle a chair for you once in a while if you really ask them to. And then there's participants, people that'll, that'll, that'll take, take and say, hey, I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that. There's volunteers and the people that really want to get involved. And, and yet they're afraid, but they're doing it anyway. They're encouraged and they do it. And all of a sudden, you start to feel a little bit more at home. The more you do, the more at home you feel. Audience disappears. Participants stay. So are you a looky-who or a sticky-who? <laughs> if you're a looky-who, you're going to look around and you're never going to feel comfortable and you're going to run away. If you're a sticky-who, you're going to side up with somebody. You're going to ask somebody to be your sponsor. You're going to take a few directions. You're going to change your thinking and your way of life. And you're going to find that this program has a lot of helpful tools to make you who you want to be. And that's what I think uh, this thing has done for me. It's given me the tools. And I did like getting involved. Uh, I finally got asked to become a member of the Board of Trustees. And I spent uh, several years doing that until my felony came up. And then I had to take a year leave of absence, and after that year leave of absence, they kind of just thought maybe we ought to rotate people, and, and uh, I remember Chuck told me, he says, well, why don't you just go ahead and resign, and I remember doing that, and a piece of me just fell apart, because I really didn't want to let go. I, I love Narcotics Anonymous. I loved what it was doing for me, and even though I made mistakes, I, I knew that there was a few people like Jimmy who called me after, after my thing, and he, and he would ask me, uh, hey, are you okay? And Bill stopped by to see me. And there's just a bunch of things that where people reached out. And, of course, there's a lot of people that don't want to know anything, and they just want to point fingers. We all know those kind. But I don't want to get into that all the way. I just, I know that uh, that I was loved in a lot of directions, and, and, uh, and I just kept coming back anyway. No matter what, I was just going to keep coming back. Uh, I made uh, several of the other uh, conventions that, that uh, we had at the very beginning. And then I disappeared for a while. I just, I just felt a little deflated. And I went to that liquid program again, and I, and, I, and I hated it there. And I stayed there for a little while because people were pointing their fingers at me a little bit, and I, I, I felt funny. 
And so when I did come back around, um, I kind of touched base and I, I low-keyed my, my entrance back in. And I remember one, oh, several years ago, maybe five years ago, six years ago, maybe even longer than that now, uh, Bobby B. asked me to participate in an old-timers uh, thing in, in Burbank, California. And it was a regional convention. And, you know, it's been so long since I've been to a convention here. My mind says, oh, two, three hundred people. And I went into this convention, and there was like 9,000 people in, this, in Burbank. I didn't think Burbank had that many people. And, uh, but people came from a lot of the other areas, and, and they asked me to participate. And, and I kind of I made a really dumb comment, and it's like I, I, I said, uh, you know, I've, I haven't been to a convention in a lot of years, and, uh, and I remember when it was so... Um, of gratitude, because I had no idea that NA was going to grow this large. I had no idea. When I first came around, it was just a small group of people. And I can go to a local meeting today and not know most of the people, even though I might have been going in there a lot. Uh, I take a look around, all of a sudden, boom, there's a whole bunch of newcomers. I like uh, a lot of things that was said in the early part of these meetings this, this weekend so far. And I... Uh, I have a thing about newcomers. I still believe newcomers are the most important people at any meeting. And I think that uh, they deserve more attention than a lot of times that they get. I, I've watched uh, in, in different meetings I've gone to, people, the, the uh, your cliques, they get together and they talk about, hey, the cars and motorcycles. And of course, we had scuba divers back in we have scuba divers back in California. You don't have much to dive in in this place, but <laughs> but you know you had all your hobbies and things, and and so they'd get together and they drink their coffee, and then some new person would walk in, and and for some reason, man, that new person get ignored, and yet there would always be one or two people that maybe like me. I would always go up to somebody that I've never seen before, welcome them to the program hand them a pamphlet, because that's what, all we had in those days was a little white book, and um, introduce, if it was a girl, I introduced to a bunch of girls and walk away, if it was a guy, and introduce them to a bunch of guys, get him some phone numbers. I'd always do that, because that's what was done for me. I remember my sponsor, in fact, when I first got out of the penitentiary, he said, now I want you to stand at the back door and greet people. I said, Eddie, I'm shy. He says, I don't care. I want you to get back in the back and introduce yourself and, and greet people that are coming in the door. And I says, oh. In fact, he says, he was a circuit speaker, and every once in a while I'd overlook. And he'd say, I want you to go out and speak for me someplace. And I, I, at first I thought, well, that's cool. I can get out there and have some fun, you know. Talk about, I can make people laugh, and, and I can have some fun. But uh, one time I walked into this meeting and they introduced me, and they, but they said, well, Eddie was supposed to be here, but he couldn't make it, but he sent this, this guy Mel over, and, uh, and I could see their faces like, oh, no, no, that guy's too young to know anything. And I, next time Eddie called and asked me to speak for him, I said, no, I won't do that. I can't do that. I, I saw too much disappointment. If you overbook, that's your problem. Cut yourself in half and go both places, you know. <laughs> And I said, I just have to talk for me. i got to be me and not you. I want to be me more than I want to be you. And uh, 
so that's uh, that's kind of uh, some of the things I was going through. But that shyness finally started to disappear, and, and that uh, a lot of the feelings I had in, in getting uh, clean and all that fear started to disappear. I mean, you guys really did a miracle with me. Uh, or is it maybe I did a little bit of it on my own just by listening to what you had to say and trying to apply those things to my life. That fear, that uh, inadequacy, that uh, hating me and hating you, and all, all those things started to disappear. I started to feel like a real human being again. I could look in the mirror after two years. It took me two years to look in the mirror and smile and say, I'm okay. The only reason I have a beard is not because I don't like the way I look. It's just I don't like shaving. <laughs> I've had this beard for over 32 years. It just keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter, but it, I still I, I refuse to put steel to it. Um, but there was a time I hated it, hated me, and I started to like me, and then I started letting you like me, and then I started to love me, and then I started letting you love me, and that stuff started to pour out. See, my sponsor taught me some other things. He says, whatever's missing in your life, start giving it away. If you're lonely, start being a friend to somebody. You know, if, if whatever, if, if, you, if you don't feel love in your in your life, start giving love away and love will come back to you. And I thought, yeah, whatever's missing in my life, give it away. And you can only keep what you have by giving it away anyway. I mean, I need to always remember where I came from so I never have to relive this thing again. I don't ever want to live that kind of a lifestyle again that caused me as much confusion. Here's another thing. I don't ever want to stand up as a newcomer. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I could do it. I think I would blow my brains out before I'd come to you and say, hey, man, I screwed up. I'm a newcomer. I don't ever want to do that. See, Tuesday's going to make my 35 years. I'm having a tough time with that. But I realized I'm a person of commitment. I've committed to myself that I don't want what I used to have. I'm a person that has the same phone number. I, I've been living in my house for over 32 years. Wow, my phone number is an eight. The only thing that's in Bessel is area codes. You know how they change. <laughs> the address is the same. Most people have an address book and everything's in pencil. And I remember somebody saying, you know, you're the only one I know that I have an eight. Because you don't go anyplace. You don't do anything. I worked in the same company. <laughs> Well, my dad opened it up, but I bought it. I've been here for 50 and a half years doing the same thing. Some people say, man, you're boring. No, I'm not. I just don't know what else to do. i got too big a mouth to go work for somebody else, so I, work. I own my own company. It's easier that way. Not really, but I, I do. And yeah, I've committed myself to want to be clean more than I want to be loaded. I don't want to be loaded, man. I want to be... I want to be a part of the living. I want to share my life with other people. I want, I want to learn like new people. I want to learn from new people. I want to learn what I don't want. How many times do we hear new people share and you think to yourself, you know, you want to slam your mind shut, think about what am I going to wear tomorrow to work? <laughs> you know you don't want to hear anything they got to say, but they say something real profound like drugs are bad. Oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> that was a long time ago, but yeah, that's right. Drugs are bad. And make you do bad things. You know, I said something at the, at, in, in San Diego, and I'm sticking to it, man. I'm sticking to it because I believe in it. 
what this program has taught me is to always reach out and touch someone. Never walk out of a meeting without sharing something with somebody. When you see somebody new in the crowd, don't, don't let that person walk out without the hope. Don't ever let that happen. Be responsible. And I'm saying that not trying to lecture, but I'm just, I'm saying it to me too. Don't ever forget the responsibilities that we have in sharing this program with other people. And there's a lot of meetings that people go to these days. I've, I've gone to them and I just want to, oh, and I've yelled and screamed. I'm not quite as bad as what Jack used to be, but they get in there and they start drama. Now, I don't know how you feel about drama. Maybe, maybe you adjust it to it and say, yeah, that's part of the program. It's part of sharing. In an open participation meeting, you start talking about everything else but recovery. A newcomer is thinking, well, is this recovery? Where's the hope? What happens? I thought they were going to talk about how to stay clean. And, and they don't hear that, and the person goes on for 20 minutes about something going on with the family, the dog, the fleas, I don't know, everything but recovery. And what happened? The newcomer walks out saying, well, I guess this thing ain't going to work for me. And they just go out and do what they got to do. And I, I'm, saying, I'm saying this to me, too. I don't ever want to get caught up in that kind of stuff. If I have a little drama, it's going to be a blipper, but I'm going to share that hope. And if I have something more to say about drama, I'm going to take somebody outside, and I'm going to share that drama. But I'm not going to share it in the meeting. I'm not going to waste your time talking about drama, because I want to share the hope. I want everybody to know that, man, you can be clean, and you can have a new way of life, and you can experience things that you've never experienced before. God gives you everything you want if you want it bad enough, and if you need it, if you want it. Um, I don't ever want to do uh, something that would not enhance somebody else. Because somebody did that for me. They shared at the beginning some of the most painful things and how they overcame, which gave me the strength to say, if you can do it, I can do it. And I have. I really have. Um, what a privilege to be here. I don't know. I uh, probably could go on a little while for longer, but I don't really want to. I, um, I'm anxious to hear Bill. I haven't seen Bill in 25 years. And, didn't even recognize him when I saw him. He, he looked so different. But then again, I had uh, dark brown hair and I had all my own teeth. And <laughs> I was about 50 pounds slimmer. <coughs> and I was double hip and double flick and double team and popping my fingers and walking like I had a stick stuck. And now I'm just got arthritis and I can barely get up and just <laughs> barely sit down. Oh, God. That's another story. <laughs> but uh, you know what? If you're, if you're kind of relatively new here or just coming here just to hear the history, uh, carry the history on. Whatever you're hearing tonight or today or some of tomorrow or what you heard last night, take this with you. Share this with other new people coming to this program. Don't let this thing just die right here in Nashville, Tennessee. I could talk just like you two. From Southern California, I could do that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't feel any darts. Thank you. <laughs>
But don't don't ever let this thing die because it's it's the most beautiful thing that ever happened. And thank you, Jim McKinnon. He's in the big meeting in the sky right now. And uh, and he's uh, he had a dream. And all of us that are around that have been around felt that dream and kept that dream going. And we're going to pass the torch to all you guys and you gals. Anyway, I guess uh, they, they allowed me 10 minutes to, to do the question and answer thing. And I'm really privileged again, and thank you for just listening to me. And uh, I'm going to drop it at that. covered the vision in a direction of never letting a newcomer escape without the hope. So I want I want that vision to, to to stand up and take this thing every place in every area and every part of the world that drugs or alcohol are being used and abused. And um, I want you to know I said the word alcohol excused me, but then again when I came here we could talk about being sober and clean. And a lot of the words have changed in the, in the, the last many years. The writings uh, have changed. But still in all, it doesn't really matter. The oldest known drug is alcohol. And drugs were a substitute for alcohol. And uh, so we need to carry it to anybody that's suffering from the drug addiction. Uh, I, I, my vision is that I want to I go to another world convention and see not 25,000 people. I want to see... 100,000 or 200,000 people that could actually afford to make it to a place and, and share the hope. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I, I've got to apologize to, uh, to Mel. <laughs> Mel and I have been friends for years, and uh, we were upstairs eating, and uh, Mel said, uh, Would you come here and this me this morning? And so I started joking and laughing uh, about the introduction and, and all that, you know, and, and, uh, and, and I meant to do it, but I got up there talking to a guy and, and, uh, and I didn't do it and I apologize. No problem. Yeah. But I'll tell you, <clears throat> I think one, one word that's really impressed me here, uh, and especially with Mel, is the word connecting. And Mel and I have been connected for a long time. Uh, we got our CRC and then we went back together many, many times during the week. It's about 100 miles and uh, he'd uh, uh, pick me up and we'd, we'd go out there and, and uh, we wouldn't get back till midnight or something and we'd get up at 6 or 7 o'clock and we'd go back to work the next day. Never complained about it. Never seemed to get tired. You know, we had the energy. But the one important thing I think about Mel that he mentioned this morning that that he had a uh, uh, a felony uh, account that happened to him after he was on on the, the program quite a long time, you know. And that's a pretty devastating thing when it happens to you. The wonderful thing about Mel and I is, is that we've been connected for many many years. And I've got six more years than Mel has on the program. 
So does that make me more important than Mel? No. no. You know what makes me important? What makes me important is that I have a connection with the guy that has connected with me when I was accused of a felony after 24 years on the program. I was in a position of uh, possibly spending 20 years in a, in a penitentiary. I lost the job after 29 years with the federal government. Uh, I lost everything. My name was in the paper. I was humiliated. A guy from the program had, uh, was involved in, in uh, helping to uh, develop this conviction for me. And, uh, and I, was, I was in pretty sad shape. And you know what happened? Because I was connected with Mel, and because Mel had been in the same position at one time. Mel lived in Whittier, California. I lived in Medford, Oregon, which was hundreds of miles away. And Mel called me every week. He said, hey, Gene, how you doing, man? You know, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. You know, and sometimes I was, I was pretty down, you know. Because I, I was going to lose everything. I was going to lose my home. I lost my, my job, my retirement, uh, my, my, my status in the community. Nobody would talk to me, not even members of AA or NA, because they, they knew that I was guilty. And from February of 1986 until I went to trial in October of, of 1986, Mel called me almost weekly and said, how are you doing, Gene? You know, and that carried me through. It carried me through. And uh, in October, October the 6th, 1986, I was found not guilty in a jury trial. But I tell you, I could have died during that time because of suicide. But that's why, that's why I thought. But it was Mel because he was connected with me, that I survived. So I want to thank you for right. Oh, there's those cards. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gene, you're a lovely man. Any other questions? Hi, it's Courtney. Hi, Courtney. I'm just really thankful that I'm a member of the United Phenomenal. And I have a strong desire to uh, reach out and break the that I who's still suffering in the uh, communities that I come from and black communities. And uh, I'm just wondering at what point in the history of the program did more black people start getting involved in the program? Because I noticed that the old times who come, they just don't happen to be in the uh, black men and women. And uh, I know here in Nashville, we just in this country in general, we have a tendency to continue to segregate ourselves from one another. Not so much in programs, the recovery programs, but in the general community. And I think that's a big part of what more black people are involved in programs of recovery. So I'm just wondering how that part of the history is developed. Because what I experienced in the past is that because we all have such 
common experiences, regardless of what our backgrounds are, that we embrace each other for our problems. And those different backgrounds, racial, ethnic, religion, economic, uh, academic, everything else, all that needs to be involved in the program. Good question, uh, except it doesn't require a big answer. So first of all, um, for me, I'm a little Jewish guy. And uh, so I know what uh, prejudices can lead up to. And I remember uh, in a church setting, because I, I find that to be a, a useful tool as well for me, just by going to meetings, a guy and I were talking, and he says, uh, we talked about prejudices. And he says, well, I know about prejudices. I'm black. And I says, you are? <clears throat> I thought you were a human being. See, I, my personal eye view of people is that everybody in here doesn't have color. They're human beings. And they're human beings that, that, that need uh, the same amount of attention. If you put a barrier to it, what are you doing? You're separating. What we want is fellowship together. Period. Um, I remember years ago when I tell people I'm Jewish and I have people say, well, you know, some of my best friends are Jews. <laughs> oh, really? Well, some of my best friends are human beings. So, uh, Bobby B., uh, who's been around 42 years now, he wasn't the first black guy to come to N.A. And he's never going to be the last one. If you had to say color, you have to reach out and touch your own community if that's the case and bring them. If you see somebody suffering from drug addiction, just offer them hope. If you see them on the streets, just offer them hope. You don't have to live like that if you don't want to. What was said to me is you can be anything you want to be and do anything you want to do and you can do it without drugs. And I heard that. Okay. I want a part of that. I want a piece of that. So I don't think that racial things, I mean... I know that I know that people are, are hurt behind other people's actions. When I was in school, they used to throw matches at me and try to play World War II. Man, they want to burn me up because I'm a Jew, and I know that hurt me. But today, that kind of stuff, I laugh at it in a way and say, "Well, that's your problem. You got a problem, not me. I love all peoples, short, tall, skinny, chunky like me." It doesn't matter. I love all people. There's people. So reach out and touch someone. Don't walk away without touching somebody. Give somebody that hope. Don't put a barrier on it. Just reach out and touch, even if it's a white brother. Just reach out and touch somebody. It's important. Got to do it. Hope that answered that. Any other question? I got a minute and a half. She's counting. 30 seconds. <laughs> Go ahead. My name is Joe Almanac. Hey, Joe. Um, do you see any real fast, definite difference in the fellowship and the sharing that comes out here from the early days to now? Um, 
better than worse, or just what, what, how can you share on the involvement of what you've seen? Well, early days was a lot of canned stuff. In the latter days, you're seeing in-depth stuff. A lot of people get into in, into their heart, and they share their heart. I, I'm more I'm more happy to hear somebody's heart than I am about uh, war stories and and junk. When you hear somebody pour out, saying, "Man, I hurt inside. I, this happened, and I'm hurt inside." You know, you feel that pain with them. How many of you cried with another person that, that shared from the from the from the meeting, and it just you just feel it, and you, and you just feel their energy, and you just want to cry with them. I did that. I did that with with Gene. I've done that with just a lot of people. I, I mean, I'm, I'm I've become a marshmallow these days. I'll, I cry at grand openings. You know, it's just it's I just I'm no longer a tough guy, man. I'm just a, I'm just somebody who feels with other people. So I like to hear feelings. You start putting me to sleep with war stories. I just don't want to hear war stories. But if you start talking about how how you felt and what you're feeling like today, that's that's probably the thing that gets me the most. You'll stimulate me, and I'm right there with you. I'm sitting on your lap. So that's I'm seeing that there's a little bit more depth today than there was when we were doing ten. So. I feel sort of bad about commenting on things, you know, but something just popped in my head about what what uh, Orrin was talking about, and, and I think it's really significant because uh, here you've got a black man and here you've got a Jew. So I'm going to tell you something. The first uh, NA meeting uh, that I attended, uh, the mother group on roads in Norfolk. There wasn't a black man there, and there wasn't a Jew there. But at the same time, there was a second meeting in Burbank. And the people that, that, that uh, shared that meeting was in their home. And that was Bill Wexler, a Jew. And that was Zona, a black lady. <laughs> and I'll tell you, that's pretty significant. And that's where it all started, right there. And we loved them. And we love we love the meeting. And we never thought much about it. We just love to go there, you know. And uh, so I guess you could say that was the beginning of our lack of prejudice or our togetherness, our connectedness to the entire community. Jew, black, white, Asian, Indian, whatever. Well, my time is up, and I just want to thank you all for letting me participate in this, and uh, I'm anxious to hear Bill next. Um, this is the 50th anniversary history conference in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, these recordings from this conference belong to the public domain. And, of course, the next speaker will be Bob B. Uh, from Chula Vista, California. Oh, excuse me, that's Bill B., excuse me. Bill has been a staunch member of NA since 1957, when there were only 50 to 100 members. Uh, his story is in the basic text, The Fat Addict. Uh, he was personal friends with 